In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam Johnson is preaching for us this evening. Thank you, Adam. I was planning on saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've come to peace with this pulpit. I'd rather preach at a pulpit crafted out of walnut than an appropriately, you know, elevated one out of particle board. This passage, or these, these passages, uh, they have a lot of hurt, quite a bit of suffering throughout them. Abram, he has no son. And something happened just in the last couple of weeks that made me resonate with this, because I have three, even though one's homesick right now. <clears throat> I, I was driving and uh, my imagination was wandering, as it is wont to do. And uh, it, it, it took a rather, uh, it took a darker turn, and I, and I some, uh, for some reason I imagined my, my whole family passing away in a tragic accident. So I was filled with a, with a sadness, thinking about what that would be like. And then because I'm a hopeless optimist, uh, much to my shame, I thought, well, I could pay off part of the house, you know, with, with life insurance. Which is kind of embarrassing. And then, and then it, hit, it hit me, and it, and it hit me really hard. What, what would I be saving anything for? And I didn't know. <laughs> there, there, there wasn't anything to save for. It was the strangest feeling. And to realize... All of my work, everything to do with money is oriented around my family. Uh, and and to, not, to not have that, that, that would, it would be useless to have my house paid off. I don't, I don't know why I'd even want that. But here's Abram looking ahead, and God's saying, making these great promises, and he says to God, I don't know, my next-door neighbor is going to inherit everything. Somebody from Damascus. There's, there's hurt there looking forward. The psalmist, there's a lot of very faithful, beautiful language looking forward to time in the temple of the Lord. But it's clear that he's far from it right now. I mean, he's not there. And enemies are surrounding him. Now, I, I don't know the, the history of when this psalm was written. It could have been written when he was in, in exile fleeing his son who had started civil war and tried to take the kingdom from him. If I fight, I kill my boy. If I don't, the kingdom is in shambles. There's hurt in this psalm as he's looking to the temple and longing to be there, but definitely not there. Paul's take on suffering is a little more cheerful. Bring it. What does he care? But the suffering's there. He's writing from prison. And then in the gospel story, uh, that, that's the strongest story of suffering that we get in these passages. A time when, you know what? Too late. Eternal suffering. But there were two gospel readings for tonight, two options. And the other option is the story of a, of a father who brings his son to Jesus, asking him to be healed. 
and a, a demon would attack his son and throw him into this into a fit. And it was a great it was great suffering for both the father and for the son. Jesus heals him, but there's suffering there. Now God doesn't stop this kind of suffering. Jesus heals the boy. David eventually gets his kingdom back. But God doesn't just step in and stop suffering all the time. He's the kind of God who is active in the midst of suffering. So he's active there, but without stopping it. But he doesn't leave us alone. All throughout these stories are ways that God is present. And I'm just going to attend to some of them that come from, from the story of Abram. God speaks. He comes to him and he speaks to him. Now, some of the Psalms talk about great silence. So it's not that he speaks all the time, but he does, he does speak. He gives, he gives verbal imagery to Abram. I am your shield. Here's something with which to decorate your mind, your journal, your wall. Here's an image that can speak powerfully to you, even though you have no son. I am a shield. He gives tangible imagery to him. Look up. Not in Southern California, perhaps. <clears throat> Even here you can see some stars. But look up. See all those stars? There's something else to decorate your imagination with every time you look up, when you see the stars, when you see a rainbow. God does that in a way to give us palpable imagery and creation to remind, him, remind us of himself. He makes promises. Now the promises, those are hard they're a good thing, but they're not yet. So it's an odd sort of a blessing. But he does give those promises, and some of them are extremely powerful. Covenants. Um, a covenant is a way of making obligations and a way of God making obligations for himself. It's a really powerful kind of a promise. I will do this, and if I don't, I will fail to be who I am. I will do this on the legitimacy and authority of my own being. It's a very powerful promise. And he does it through history. He identifies himself. He says, look, even though I'm not around all the time, I don't seem to be here with you. I am the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Look back in history and this is who I am. So even though I'm not here at the moment, I don't seem to be here in the moment. This is who I am and this is who I will continue to be as I fulfill these promises and bring this imagery and this language to life in fulfillment. So he doesn't leave us alone. Now all of this looks forward to blessing. There's a lot of blessing spoken of in the midst of all this suffering in these passages. Some of it's eschatological. Yay, heaven, won't that be sweet? It doesn't take much to be able to look forward to what to heaven. Just thinking about no mosquitoes or ones that don't bite. <clears throat> Maybe there will be mosquitoes, they just want to suck our blood, I don't know. Just that's enough to look forward to. But then you take some immense trial and you think, oh, none of that. So Paul does look forward to that. Jesus talks about it in a way that fills us with both joy and dread. But blessing in the present life is also a proverbial truth. It's not that we'll always be blessed. It's not that all of us are happy and anyone who's not at church today isn't. It doesn't work like that. But Proverbs are still true. 
then serving the Lord in the long run does bring blessing on his people in the present. It's not all it brings, but it does bring it. Sometimes the Proverbs come through very quickly. There can be a significant change in life as we seek to serve the Lord in a new way or with renewed vigor, and God can just bless us in response. Or sometimes as an act of piety and prayer, God simply heals someone. I've been there when that happened. Part of the proverbial truth, though, involves a really, really long view. So I think that's hard for anyone, but it's probably harder for Americans than any other people group in the world, almost. Everything that we have is built so recently. We don't have buildings and walls that are built you know, 700 years ago, 800 years ago, to remind us of the length of time that a civilization can last, and to think of how much farther forward things might go. So we tend to think about the present a little more, unless we're surrounded by sequoias or something like that that's been around for a couple thousand years. But so part of this proverbial truth looks forward 400 years. God says to Abram, I'll bless you. I'm going to give you all this land. And your descendants in 400 years will have it. Thanks. It's a really funny kind of a blessing. Here's the good news. You're getting a promotion. And of course, you and your descendants for the next 400 years will be in slavery and impoverished, but in 400 years, your descendants will get that promotion. Hopefully it's compounding interest during that time, right? <clears throat> okay. Now the beautiful thing in all these passages in the way of thinking about both suffering and blessing, I think, is patience. There's an awful lot of waiting involved in these stories. Abram was an old man. He's waited a long time to have kids, and then he has to wait a lot longer before he finally has one. And then he has to wait another 400 years until his people will inherit this land he's just been given. Who knows how long David's waited in terms of coming back to the temple? Who knows how long Paul's going to be in prison? There's waiting, there's waiting, there's waiting. There's an awful lot of waiting. But love... Love is patient, love is kind, and it's really easy to skip to the kindness. It does not boast, it does not envy. Those things are easy for me to think about, but patience, it's easy to leapfrog over that first one. Love is patient. Patient for a day, patient for weeks, patient for 400 years. Oh, that, that, that's a powerful thing. Patience is powerful, powerful to the point of being intolerably good. When you think about it, patience is quite brutal. Eve, she wanted to know good and evil, and she wanted to be like God. Now, how ready is God to let us be like him? The whole saving project is this invitation, come, be refashioned in my image, be like me, be united to me, be made in the image of Christ, be united to me. Be united to the Father in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that just what Eve wanted? She just wanted salvation. She wanted it quickly, but that's all she wanted. She wanted what God was going to offer. So that's a really painful thing to be told, wait, wait for the thing that you long for. And sometimes it's just, we're, 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 we're eager, we're eager, we want it, we want it, we want it. Simeon. Simeon is the epitome of impatience these days. 
They're mostly for good things. Although he can be so impatient, we'll just tell him, fine, no. At least we stop being bothered that way. Right? So the only way he can lose the good thing that we're going to give him is by being so darn impatient we say no and refuse to give it to him. Because otherwise, it's just an unbearable burden upon us. Sometimes the impatience, though, or the patience is awful. If we have a word to say to someone that we know we need to say to someone that is going to hurt them badly, even though it's a good word, when to say it? And if we say it too soon or in the wrong way, or if we wait too long and let things fester or get out of control. Like when, when to act and when not to act. To act too soon is to destroy everything. And to wait too long is to cease to be patient, is to be complacent and let evil just have its way. And that's awful too. Now impatience, impatience is an incredibly destructive thing. But patience even though it's powerful, is awful. Now that should have a ring of truth to it. Love is an awful thing. At times, it's just beautiful and delightful. And it's easy to think of a bride and a groom on their wedding day, or, 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 or to think of, of, of a mother holding a new child, or a kid with a puppy, or I, I don't know, the, the beautiful, just the, the, the beautiful, delightful, new kinds of love. But love is awful. God so loved, he sent. Love sends. A surgeon cuts. We were with, we were with uh, a group of students in Joshua Tree. One of them fell against uh, this incredibly, it, it looked like it was out, made out of fibers. I think it was made out of steel. This plant, because it pierced his leg, so there was a gigantic sliver inside his leg. <clears throat> I tried to remove it. It was really deep, and it had broken off, and then it was underneath, so it wasn't protruding, right? So I tried digging some, because he wanted it out of there. It took a great deal of fortitude to try. I decided that we were close enough to medical care that it wasn't worth doing it, but I also knew if we weren't close enough to medical care, if it wasn't available, that I would have to cut it. And just that glimpse into the life of a surgeon is a good reminder of how awful God love is, God's love is, how awful love can be. The awful is good, is powerful, and it's real, but it is, it is awful. Now, the second commandment is like the first. We are to love God and love our neighbor. Now, love is patient, so we're to be patient with God and patient with our neighbor. Patient with ourselves, too. That patience is difficult. There are four or five things here back in the story of Abram that kind of remind us of things to do in the midst of patience, in the midst of waiting, in an awful way of trying to discern being in that bind between what's too soon and what's too late. God reminds us to speak in the midst of it, even in the midst of waiting, to give uh, imagery, to, get, to, to give voice to ourselves and to our care through images, both of words and tangible ones, of promises, and sometimes even covenants, 
in the midst of that waiting and to appeal to a long history that can give place and comfort and meaning in the midst of all that waiting. We're called to something really, really difficult. We're called to love and to love as an act of, and a part of loving is this continual act of patience. And there's blessing in there for us and the generations to come, but it's still difficult. So may the Lord bless you and me, our whole church, as we try to live out this patience with each other and with the people who so badly need it around us, and as we try to be patient with ourselves, with our Lord, as our whole lives are saturated with patience. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.